Good morning. So just a, a little warning for you guys. If you see me looking somewhat stiff this morning, there's a reason for that. Yesterday I decided to do some gardening. And uh, we have all these, these paths that got put down a year ago and they're all block paving. And in, be- in between all the blocks, little weeds, of course, have started to appear. And so we thought it would be good to go out there and sit on the ground and dig them all out. Um, which was a great idea, except that I stayed a little too long sitting on the ground and then I couldn't get up. So uh, I did wonder whether I'd actually get out of bed this morning. But uh, I'm here, we're here. So foolishness of people who forget that they're a bit older than they used to be. It's just amazing, isn't it? The presence of God when we come together is amazing. What a, what a fantastic time of worship. Just Josh, the band, you did a really good job. And for everyone who brought something this morning, see, God is with us. God is here. Just great to hear Heather's testimony as well, because it stirs faith, doesn't it? It stirs faith in our hearts. God is moving. So this morning we're going to look at God's glorious church. And we may well look round this morning and think, well, uh, we're the church and it perhaps doesn't look quite as glorious as we, as we might wish it to look. But we are the glorious church of God. We're the glorious church of God. But what is church? What is the church? What it, should it look like, perhaps? So the word church comes from a Greek word, ecclesia, meaning all those who are called out or something, and it was used often in, in, in a Greek life for people who'd been elected into a particular assembly. But in terms of the church, it relates to us being called out by God, called out of the world, called out of sin, called out of our culture, those whom God has set apart to be exclusively his. That's who we are. We've been called to be set apart to be exclusively God's. Ephesians 5 says, Christ's loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present him to her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. See, the church is the fullness of Christ. It's the body of Christ. It's the radiance of Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. We're being transformed with ever-increasing glory. Whether we look in the mirror and, and think that, that is what the Bible says is happening in our lives. And again in Ephesians 3, he says, To God be glory in the church. Glory in the church. We are the glory of Christ. The church is God's people. We are people who are being transformed into the image of God and we are the people of the glory of Jesus. Don't you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for the temple is sacred But you together are that temple. See, we're God's house. We're God's temple. We are the people of his presence. In Acts chapter 7, 
Stephen, who was a, a deacon in the Jerusalem church, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, it says, had been dragged before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Jewish Council. And the charges were that he'd been speaking against the temple. And part of his reply was this. He said, Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness, as had been directed by God to Moses. Now, after receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. And it remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favour and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for God. It was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? Or where would my resting place for me? Has not my hands made all these things? You see, first there was a tabernacle and we read that when they consecrated the tabernacle, the glory of God descended. And when Solomon built his temple and it was consecrated again, we read the glory of God descended. And then Jesus came and he initiated a new covenant and a new house, the church. And again we read at the outset of the church at Pentecost, the glory of God descends. And God is saying, this is my new house. This is my new house. It's not made by human hands. You haven't constructed it. It's not made by human hands. It's mine. I created it. This is my house. This is my people. The people of my presence. The people of my glory. And the house of God is all those who've been called out throughout history, but also each local community of called out once. So what should that local house look like? Well, this morning we're going to look at the Antioch Church as our example, our application. What was it like? What was God doing in that church? At the end of that speech that we read a part of there, Stephen was martyred. And Acts chapter 8 says a great persecution broke out against the church and the people were scattered, not just throughout Israel, but scattered beyond into other nations. In Acts 11 it says, those who'd been scattered by the persecution travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch. And so we're going to read from Acts 11 and verse 19 through to the end of the chapter. So those of you who want to follow in your Bible, we're going to read from Acts 11, 19 and then flip over into Acts 13 and verses 1 to 3. He says, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, 
And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the whole Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Chapter 13. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And so this morning we're going to look at some of the characteristics of Antioch as a model for us. It's not an exhaustive list of all the things that we should be in a church, but we can look at them and we see the grace of God was on them, the power of God was on them. So we're just going to work our way through that passage and pick up some of the points as we go along. And the first one is this. They were ordinary people who talked about Jesus. They were ordinary people who talked about Jesus. It says they spoke to people telling them the good news of Jesus. This was the basis of the church. Ordinary people talking about Jesus and testifying to what God had done in their lives. And that's at the heart of who we are, isn't it? We're ordinary people. And we're just called to talk about what Jesus has done for us. When Jackie Pullinger got off the ship in Hong Kong, she had a dream of the sick being healed and addicts set free and the hungry fed. And when asked, she said, I had no idea how to bring about my dream. I had no idea. I just got off the boat where I was told. She said, but I imagined that I could introduce the walled city people to the one who could change it all, Jesus. That was her plan. Introduce people to Jesus. The plan has never changed. The plan has never changed. That's what we are as basis, the church and the church in Antioch. We are ordinary people who talk about Jesus. See, Paul says, doesn't he, I don't preach with eloquence or wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of power. But in Romans 1, he says the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who believes. See, the power of the gospel is not how clever with words we are, which is good for some of us. It's not how eloquent we are. It's not how well we speak. It's not how wise we are. It's the gospel itself is the power of God for anyone And so the Antioch Christians came and they talked about Jesus and people turned from their old life and they turned to Jesus and they believed in him, Jews and eventually Gentiles. See, Adil Moody once said to a critic of his, it is clear that you don't like my way of doing evangelism. You raise some good points. Frankly, I sometimes do not like my way of doing evangelism either. But, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. 
I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. See, we, we, we must be people who speak about Jesus. Barnabas is not a church who sends Terry out to talk to people about Jesus. Now, God's put Terry in this church to equip the rest of us to speak about Jesus. Because that's God's calling on our lives. We want to see the evidence of the grace of God in people's lives, that we just as Barnabas did. Secondly, we see body ministry moving in the power of the Spirit. So in Acts 4, in the early church, it said, after the believers had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And some of those believers had been scattered by God to Antioch. And just as we have read, they continued to speak the word of God boldly under the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord's hands was with them. See, in Ephesus, Paul asks his converts, did you receive the Spirit? And they say no. And so he lays his hands on them and the Spirit falls on them. And by the end of Acts 19 in Ephesus, there's a riot. Not because of a few converts, but because the power of the Holy Spirit has changed the city. And just as we were singing this morning, we're praying for the Spirit to break out, aren't we? Spirit, break out. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to empower us. Spirit, break out. Let's make sure it isn't just a nice song we sing on a Sunday, but a prayer in our hearts for the week. Spirit, break out. See, Antioch was planted by ordinary people speaking. It was a body ministry empowered by the Spirit. It wasn't started by a pastor. It wasn't started by an evangelist. It was started by people. God speaks. Spirit-filled people and spirit-filled churches bring gospel impact. And when a prophetic word about a forthcoming famine was brought to them, the disciples, the membership, decided to give, it says. The Holy Spirit again is speaking and working in the body. They're not told to give. They're not directed to give. It says the disciples decided to give. They respond to God's direction. And our churches must have spirit-empowered bodies, not just spirit-empowered leaders. We need to be spirit-empowered bodies. I would encourage you to keep praying for each other, keep encouraging one another. Keep telling stories like Heather did this morning because we need to be encouraged, don't we? We need to be challenged. The third thing was that they were very multiracial and multicultural church and God's promise to Abraham and ultimately through Jesus was that all nations would be blessed. See, Jesus commanded his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. And then at Pentecost, at the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit comes down and he causes the disciples to speak in other languages and people of nation after nation understand the word of God. The people who brought the gospel to Antioch were refugees from many backgrounds and God scattered them. See, interestingly, the city of Antioch was divided into as many as 18 different ethnic quarters. And each one of them was walled off from the rest. If you think it's bad in some of our cities, in Antioch there were 18 quarters and they're all walled off. Why? Because of racial tension and racial violence. 
But this story shows us that when God is at work, he saves people of every ethnicity and culture to be community together, walled off or not. See, God crosses physical boundaries and cultural boundaries and racial boundaries. And it's worth noting, isn't it, the names of the leaders in chapter 13. Barnabas, a Jewish Levite from Cyprus. Simeon, a black man from Africa. Lucius, a North African from Cyrene. Manaean, a nobleman, probably from Herod's own household. And Paul, a Pharisee from Tarsus in Asia. See, the leadership reflected the church. The church reflected God's heart, God's purpose. See, we read in Revelation, don't we? One day the church will stand as a bride, all nations and tribes and languages and peoples and cultures. And actually cultures, it's not just ethnic cultures also, our different cultures of background, our different cultures of education, our different cultures of hobbies, our different cultures of work. God has brought us into community here. Many different cultures together to reflect the glory of God to our communities. This is what it can look like when God does something in people's lives. Because God's heart and purpose have not changed for the church. Fourthly, they welcomed apostolic input. See, it says Barnabas was an apostolic representative of the apostles in Jerusalem. And so they sent him to lay a foundation for the church. And the church welcomed him and then Paul and benefited hugely. It says they spent a whole year teaching them. And ultimately they then worked with them as Paul and Barnabas went out. You know, and Paul explains his work, his apostolic work to the church. He says, I'm building a foundation in the church. And it's interesting when you go through the New Testament to look at the names of people that God used to do that in the church. Barnabas and Timothy, Titus, Silas and a whole number of other people. Says these people were apostles moving around the church, building foundations. But why? Well, in Ephesians 4, Paul explains why. He says, to equip his people for works of service, to build the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of Jesus. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of Jesus. You know, I used to think that somehow apostolic ministry was in the first century and then there was nothing until the 20th century. But actually the reality is that's not true. From the 12th century onwards there was a group in France called the Waldenses. In fact, they still exist in France. And it says this. It says, The elders remained at home and with their churches, but their apostles travelled continually visiting all the churches. 12th century, 13th century, 14th century. Actually, when the Reformation came, they were regarded as one of the forerunners of the Reformation. Why? Because they'd never changed their practice in all the time that existed. We're still in an apostolic and prophetic age. And we will be until we all attain the full measure of the fullness of Christ, until Christ returns, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. The people of Antioch were generous. See, in Acts 4 it says, God's grace was so powerful at work in them 
There were no needy people among them. This was a central value of church in Jerusalem. And when the church scattered, they took that value with them. And there is historical evidence to say that the Antioch church not only practiced this way of living in their own community, but they also exported their care and generosity to the city, and particularly the poor, praying for the sick. They risked their lives to cross the walled divides to pray for the sick. They were known. They had a reputation. When Agabus stood up and prophesied about a famine, they said, we're going to send help. We're going to raise money. We're going to give. We're going to send our gifts. They were generous. When the Holy Spirit told them to send out two of their senior leaders, they fasted and prayed and laid hands and they sent them. They were generous. They were a generous church to their city. They were a generous church to other believers. And they were a generous church to God's purposes in the nations. And the question for us is, am I like them? Am I like them? In chapter 13 it says, there were prophets in the church. Well, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to hear a prophet, if you were lucky, you might happen to be in town when the only one in the nation came through. But Joel says, in the last day, my spirit will be poured out on all flesh. The spirit will break in. There'll be more of the miraculous, more of the spirit, not less. Because the glory of the new outshines the glory of the former. See, this was not an age where the prophetic was being closed down. It was an age when the prophetic was being opened up. And when it was prophesied that a major famine would come, the people responded in faith. They had no idea when the famine was going to happen. But they said, God has spoken, we're going to give. We're going to give, God has spoken. See, God gives the church gifts of people. He gives us prophets to see beyond ourselves, to stir us to action, to build us up, to challenge us, to refocus our gaze. He gives us prophets to remind us who we are, to keep seeking first the kingdom of God, living for God's glory. Let's keep welcoming the prophetic gift in our midst. Not just on Sundays, actually, but during our life together. Keep stirring one another to hear from God, like we did this morning. He says there were teachers. Teaching is important. When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, he began with Moses and he went through the whole of Scripture teaching about himself. He didn't just say to them, look, it's me, I'm Jesus. He realised that what they needed was to understand the story of God's purposes and God's plans. We need to understand what God's story is. We need to understand what God says in the Bible through history so that we understand who we are and what God has called us to. And as we embrace the Spirit, we don't turn our back on truth. We don't say, we have the Holy Spirit now, we don't need the Bible. See, actually, we can receive Jesus on a fragment of biblical truth, but we need to be discipled. We need to learn, we need to understand, we need to have our thinking torn up and rebuilt because the truth sets us free. We must keep teaching the unchanging, the authoritative word of God. Our experience of God must be founded on biblical revelation. See, in Ephesians 3, Paul says to them, in reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. You'll be able to understand it. We need to understand the mystery of Christ. 
Barnabas encouraged the, the guys in Antioch to remain true to the Lord. He reminded them of God's promise and we need truth. We need the promises of God and the encouragement of God on a day by day and a week by week basis. Let's keep encouraging each other. Encourage your teachers. We need the truth. It says the leaders worshipped together. They fasted together. They heard God together. They prayed together. My strong encouragement to the elders and the leaders here and to any other leaders is this. Prioritise worship and prayer and fasting together. The problem with leadership is there's always business to do. But setting aside regular time or regular meetings where the only agenda is to worship and pray is so important in our lives and not just for our leaders. See, leaders model spiritual life for the church. As go the leaders, goes the church, as the old saying says. And we're all called primarily to be worshippers. And worship isn't just about coming on a Sunday morning and being led by a great band. Worship is a daily part of our lives. It's about, is God first in my life? Am I living the way God has called me to live? Am I worshipping God with what I say and what I do and with my heart during the week when I'm at work or am I two different people? We need to be worshippers. The Antioch leaders were worshippers. See, they worshipped and God spoke, just like this morning. And then they pray into what God has spoken and this is, this is a pattern for life for us. Worship and God speaks. And then we pray into what God has spoken. For our corporate life together and our personal lives together. Worship and God speaks and we pray. And Luke obviously makes a point about the fact that they were fasting and I think to some extent this is a discipline that we've somewhat forgotten in the 21st century church. But Jesus ascribes power to fasting. See, lastly, the church had a global vision. Within three centuries of this being written, half of Antioch professed to be Christians. Half. Half the city. It was the third largest city in the Roman world. But the church understood that just as they had been planted by those God had scattered and built by the apostolic ministry of Barnabas and Paul who were sent to them, so they would be a church who would send. They would be a church who would scatter. A reproducing church for God's purposes in partnership with Paul and Barnabas. See, they would be involved in church planting across the known Roman world because they were involved with Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas used them as the base and they came backwards and forwards. If you look at the the missionary journeys of Paul, you'll see that Antioch features at the beginning and the end. It was somewhere they went back to and got sent out from. It was a church which embraced being in partnership with other churches supporting Paul. Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, I regard it a, a privilege to be part of Christ Central. Why? Because it's because it's my family of churches, it's home. We're a family of churches who do things together, who support each other, who help each other. Why? Because we want to fulfil Jesus' commission. Go into the world. Make disciples of all nations. 
And for us, all nations starts in our office, in our school, wherever God's called us to be, in our street, in our town and the surrounding areas of our town. That's the nations. And God has called you into all those places. Great having guys from other Shropshire churches here. Why? Because there is a family. You're part of a family. I think it's fantastic there are two cross-central churches in Shrewsbury. Because you can do things together. You can pray together. You can reach the town together. And I want to say something at this, at this point. When I, after I'd finished this and I was reading through it and I was praying, God, I feel, spoke to me and he spoke to me about the nation of Wales. And I just want to say this to you. You are within a stone's throw of Wales. In fact, I go into Wales now again on my way here, as many of you do in and out when you leave town. We don't tend to think of it as another nation. Well, a lot of most of us don't because we're all part of the same but the reality is, it is another nation. I just felt God saying to me, talk about Wales while you are there. I am going to put Wales on the hearts of one or two people here. I'm going to put Wales on the heart of one or two people here. So I want you to take that away and to pray and if God speaks to you, then let the leaders here know, let me know. I believe just God wants to speak to you. See, we are God's glorious church One day there will be a great multitude that no one can count from every nation and tribe and people and language and we are part of God's glorious church. We're the part of the bride, the new Jerusalem. It's our calling. We are a glorious church. See, Bill Hybels said this, he said, there is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable, its power is breathtaking, its potential is unlimited and Dave Devonish wrote this he says God has a plan for a glorious end time church a church which expresses the life of God as a community and demonstrates the kingdom or rule of God as a city set on a hill in every nation, in every city, in every village when I was growing up the common theology was this, the church is shrinking and we're going to be a little remnant and one day Jesus is going to come back and rescue us That was the theology when I was a boy. That is not the theology of the Bible. The theology of the Bible is that there may be challenges. There may be huge things that happen. There may be persecutions. The theology of the Bible is this. We will be a glorious church for Jesus. And Jesus will continue to build his church in the world. He will continue to build his church in this nation and this town. See, Antioch are actually a wonderful model of the grace of God and the power of God and the outworking of God's plan to advance the kingdom through them. They are a picture painted for us in the New Testament of a church, though not perfect, that reflected the glory of God. And so we say, can we be like them? Can we be like them? See, there were people who were filled with the Spirit who spoke about Jesus. They were a multiracial, multicultural community breaking down barriers together. They were a church of word and spirit. We can have both. We must be both. 
They were a community who exported their radical generosity to their city, to other nations and to the world, who worshipped and prayed and fasted and heard God together. A church committed to Jesus' commission in partnership with others, working together. A church who were God's called out community to make Jesus famous in Antioch and the world to bring glory to him. Do we love the church? Do you love this church? I'd love us to stand. In a moment we're going to pray for Dave and we're going to pray for the eldership team. But I'd love us just to stand first together and pray for you as a church. Let's pray for each other. You know, God was speaking to us this morning about a new thing multiple times. And we need to listen. We need to listen. Now, God does not speak for no reason. The church is the glory of God. And God is speaking to this church. Yes, there will always be new things in church life. But I believe, particularly after this morning, that we are a point where God is speaking to you about new things. And that doesn't mean new things necessarily that the elders dream up and you all follow along. It's about new things that God wants to do in your lives as individuals. Just as Heather was bringing us this morning, God wants to do new things in our lives. God wants to challenge our unbelief. He wants to challenge the fact that we have our head down and we just trudge from one thing to another in life. And he wants us to lift our eyes and focus on Jesus. God wants to do new things. individually in our lives and corporately in the life of this church and in the life of this town, God wants to do new things. Let's not leave that sitting there. Let's take it away when you discuss and talk in your small groups this week. Let's get hold of what God is saying. Lord, we pray for each one of us, for our hearts. So Lord, do a new thing. Stir our faith afresh, Lord Jesus. Pour out your spirit afresh on our lives. Lord, that we speak about Jesus because we can speak about the overflow of our hearts. This is what he's done for me. This is what he's doing in my life. This is what's happening in my church. Fill us. Holy Spirit, fill us. Do a new thing, a new day of faith at work, at home, in our streets in our gym, wherever we spend our time, do a new thing. In this town, beyond this town, in all the communities and villages represented in this building now, we pray for the power of God to come. Break out, Lord. Pray for communities of the gospel to be raised up in these places. And Lord, we pray for Wales. Lord, send your spirit. Lord, we think back to the revival of 1904. Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. Do it here. So Lord, we commit our hearts to you. Lord, stir our faith this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.